ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Monday, December 4th edition of the program. We've got plenty to discuss after a busy, busy weekend in East Carolina athletics, in the college football world. The transfer portal is officially open for any and everybody. All undergrads are able to enter, so officially we've got almost... 20 ECU football players in it. We'll tell you about all those guys who, many of whom have already announced their intentions over the past several days. We'll get into that discussion. The Pirates have a new offensive coordinator, John David Baker. Old Miss co-offensive coordinator is making the move to Greenville. We're scheduled to talk with him later this afternoon. One o'clock will be the press conference time. That's why we are live streaming a little bit early on YouTube and Facebook. If you've got a question for us, drop it here. And we'll get to it throughout the next hour. Otherwise, we are live on radio at our normal time, 12 noon, if you're driving around listening to us. This afternoon, we also got Pirate Basketball this afternoon. They will host Maryland Eastern Shore at 4 o'clock. And we'll get into that as well as the Pirates try to avoid a trap game. Kaysen Romaley is in studio. Philip Pilkington is producing. Kaysen, we got a lot to talk about, man. Yeah, it's pretty slow in the college athletics world right now, as you stated earlier. A lot went on yesterday, and a lot's going to go on for the rest of this month of December. The start of December is always pretty wild with the playoff, bowl, uh, not projections, bowl selections. And then uh, right now, we are also in the thick of non-conference basketball play. There are a lot of major matchups this week. There are a lot of major matchups this past week, so we are... Rolling pretty high right now. Philip, how was your sports weekend, man? Not great, to be honest. <laughs> um, Panthers lost. Well, that, I mean, that's a given at the this point. The Broncos, who you know, I am a supporter of, even Don't though I'm a fan, lost. Uh, Duke basketball lost. Uh, as much as, and I will get into this later, I firmly believe an undefeated Power 5 team should be in the playoff. Can't help who you play. What's the whole point of having the Power Five? You're not going to treat them as such. So I thought that was stupid. And um, we celebrated my sister's 21st birthday. So I had a good time doing that. But sports, not so good. Also, I did terrible on my picks this week. I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think any of us did great. Um, it, was a, it was an interesting weekend of results. So we'll try and start and uh, we'll try and go one topic at a time because I do want to get into the Florida State, Alabama, Texas situation, and I think we could do, we could do a whole show on that. And obviously, I don't think anybody wants to hear that. It's been talked about, but I do want to get to that a little bit later. Let's start, guys, with the news about the offensive coordinator. When we closed our show on Friday at 1 p.m., we had mentioned John David Baker's name along with a couple of other candidates. He was not confirmed as the hire at that time, uh, and we didn't get that news till later in the afternoon. That news broke. He would be the new play caller with ECU. He comes from Ole Miss. He's had a background under several offensive coaches, obviously Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. He was also under Clay Helton at USC. When he was at North Texas, he was under Seth Luttrell and Graham Harrell. So he has been under some explosive Offensive coaches, when the candidates started to kind of formulate 
in the finalist category, I felt that John David Baker would be the best fit for ECU. Time will tell. He's got a lot to get done in a short amount of time. This will be his first offensive coordinator job, but we'll we'll kind of go around the horn here. What do you guys make of the hire? We'll start with Kaysen. I'm very excited about the hire. And uh, I watched the show last night with Brett, and he said that this hire was not for a single or a double. He made a great analogy. This was for a home run. He was swinging on an 0-2 count. And I think that I really hope it's a home run. Now, look, we're talking about this. This is a great hire, but, I mean, it's good on paper by the end of the day. You don't know until the game starts. You don't know until the game starts. And also, and also I want to say this because as I've been with Horse Coach for two years now, Pirate fans are not the most patient. And I will say <laughs> that if the first game there is there's some hiccups, it's going to be okay. Norfolk State. Rome was not built in a day. Um, but I'm, I'm, very, I'm looking forward to it. And I think that with his knowledge, he's going to get a quarterback and then we're going to roll. Philip, what did you make of John David Baker being named new OC at ECU? When you look at the college or the NFL landscape of late and the offenses that are the most entertaining to watch, most explosive and most successful, it's young up-and-coming coaches, whether it be the OC, whether it be the head coach, that have been the most successful. I'm not saying the old guys can't do it, but a lot of times when you see these home run hires, it was the young guy that they took the chance on. That you know, Some people doubted the hire, so I think the ceiling is extremely, extremely high here. You already talked about all the minds he's been under that has helped breed him into the coach he is today. Now, obviously, he's got to go out there and perform, and to Kaysen's point, you you're not you don't know. I mean, there's no way to sit here and say good hire, bad hire. But at the end of the day, I think the opportunity for it to be a home run hire is as good as any other coach they could have found. So I'm excited. I'm optimistic, and I'm ready for September. Just got the official contract from ECU. I put in a public uh, public request for that. So we'll have VIP info up on Hoist the Colors dot net in the coming hours in regards to that and uh so by the way we are running a special right now i want to plug this while we have the chance if you missed our 75 percent off special last week we're now running a 60 percent off vip annual special uh for 42 dollars for the entire year you can sign up for our vip subscription online of course we covered the oc search we'll be covering recruiting We'll be covering things like behind-the-scenes information as well. So check that out, hoistacolors.net, 60% off now on HTC. And we also did have the podcast last night with Brett Hickman, uh, former ECU assistant coach, now the defensive coordinator at Anderson at the Division II level. He's been pretty busy. But, guys, uh, for, for anybody that missed that, you can go on our podcast channel, Hoist the Colors, and check that out there. We kind of dove into the weeds of this scheme, what to expect. And it all all the attention at this point, guys, comes to to the quarterback. I mean, there's to me, you don't have the starting quarterback for next year on the roster. So you gotta find a guy in the transfer portal. It's a very RPO heavy decision making system. Most quarterbacks out there obviously gotta make a lot of decisions, but this one especially, you gotta have the trigger man or else it's not gonna work. So at this point we're waiting and seeing where he goes for the portal and, and maybe we'll get a better idea on that um you know for the for the coming for the coming weeks what to watch there when we talked to him today at one o'clock uh johnny robertson on facebook says shortly after john david baker was named as the pirate oc two old miss receivers decommitted jeremy scott and san Fr- san frisco mcgee 
any chance that one or both could follow him here. Uh, I, I honestly am not familiar with those players. Johnny, I will do some research, maybe during the break, see if they got any connection to ECU, but always a possibility. Um, I'm not sure how highly recruited they are, so that plays a role as well. So we'll continue to, to follow that in the coming days. All right, other big news, guys. Transfer portal is open, and we've got the tracker on Hoist the Colors. Outgoing transfers as of now is listed as 18 guys. Now, some of these are walk-ons. In fact, quite a few of them are walk-ons. Tegan Wilk announced his intentions a while ago. He's obviously a scholarship player. Uh, Joseph Pop McKay entered this morning. Backup running back Omari Allen. Backup offensive lineman Xavier McIver. A reserve defensive tackle who's gotten some snaps. Zion Agnew, Elijah Samples, some backup young guys offensively. We saw Mason Garcia enter the portal. Um, officially today, he announced a while ago. But really, you look at the list. Richard Pierce and Isaiah Foote and Garcia and a couple of the defensive linemen have played. But to this point, you haven't really lost anybody that you expect to be a slam dunk starter next year. So I don't know, Casey, what do you make of this list thus far? Has anybody been a surprise or has this been pretty much what you expected? Pretty much what we expected. I think that uh, as we've discussed before, you and Joe have discussed how sometimes the portal is not just a player's decision. Sometimes it might be a mutual decision of it's time to move on. It's just not the right opportunity for you. So I think we've seen that some through some of the uh, players in the portal for ECU. And I think that we might continue to see that on uh, both ends. It's just when you're 2-10, not a lot of things great happen. So it's just trying to move on for both sides. Philip, did any of these names surprise you or stand out to you that have entered the portal thus far? Or, or are you kind of in the same wavelength here that it's just – this is college football now. If you're not if you're not a starter or if you want to go make some money, you basically enter the portal, it feels like. I mean, it's just it's kind of a unique uh, world right now. Yeah, we always hear about how close this D-line is. So, in a way, the Xavier McIver maybe a little bit, but also with how deep that room is and how many guys do see snaps. Some guys don't see as many here as you think would they would see at other places. So, I kind of thought one or two of those guys probably would enter the portal. It was just, you know, a matter of who. So, I wouldn't say I'm totally surprised about McIver, but, you know, it was to an extent i mean had none of them entered the portal it wouldn't have surprised me either because it really is such a tight-knit group and so many guys do see the field yeah looking at the list of the 18 guys that have entered to this point garcia obviously started a game isaiah foot was a full-time starter in 2022 but he lost that job this year to jacob sacra and dustin hall uh, Richard Pierce started the first three games, and then he basically also lost his job as they moved Dustin Hall from center to guard. He was on special teams. Outside of that, none of these guys outside of Tegan Wilk, who has been a starter in the past but missed the last eight games of this year with an injury, and the defense played pretty good when he wasn't in the lineup. I mean, that's four out of 18 guys that have starting experience, but none of them closed the year as a starter. So I think that's worth mentioning as well. If you were losing starters left and right, Coming off a 2-10 and ten season, I think that would be a little more concerning. But, I, you know, I keep keep hearing people say there's a mass exodus into the portal. Like, every time we post a guy on Instagram entering the portal, there's, like, this freak out about, <laughs> about the team. 
And it's just not like I know that may look that way if people don't understand how it works, but Casein, it's not like everybody's jumping ship. And I think we saw towards the latter half of last season, it got really bad, but the team never quit playing hard. So I think like the culture's in a lot better spot than people give it credit for. This wasn't your your typical two and ten season where the the dam breaks and it's the floodgates open. You just couldn't score enough points. But none of these departures lead to a, a culture problem in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you how some people, when they see these posts, like uh, uh, Schufer, there were some, Tegan, there were some, Pierster, Pierster might be some. It's just Pirate Nation freaking out, oh my gosh, when we transfer Max Exodus. But also, like, like, take a back step and look at teams around the country. There are winning programs that have Max Exodus every single year. Like, for example, one that I saw this morning with fans figuring out, Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma, who is, I think, a very good quarterback, just transferred. And you can go around the country to an abundance of players that... Kyle McCord from Ohio Kyle State. McCord and just, like, for ECU having a 2-10 and season and not having as many players as some of these, I mean, top 10 teams have already have transferred out is pretty remarkable, in my opinion. Yeah, looking over 24-7 sports and some of the main guys, Texas A&M had a, you know, one of the top defensive linemen enter, uh, Walter Nolan, which you would expect after a coaching change. Uh, you've also got one of the top DBs from Indiana moving on after a coaching change there. You mentioned Dylan Gabriel, the UCLA quarterback, Dante Moore, uh, entered the portal as well. L- uh, London Humphreys at Vanderbilt will be one of the top receivers and so there's just there's a lot of guys hitting the portal for different reasons Dylan Gabriel surprised although really you kind of expect him to follow Jeff Levy probably to you know his next destination just due to the fact he was the OC at Oklahoma and is now gonna basically he coached him at UCF he coached him at Oklahoma and we'll probably coach him at his next stop too you would think but you know there's just so many teams out there that have a plan to get a guy into the portal. But then once that guy enters the portal, he can be offered basically anything. And so you never know how it's going to play out from week to week. And just crazy. We'll continue to monitor the portal. If anybody else significant enters, we'll let you know. Uh, it's one of those things where, you know, you just you sometimes are, are surprised. But then at the same time, maybe you're surprised when they first hit the portal. But then after a few minutes, you're – you're not really surprised at all. So it's just that's college football now. And for ECU guys, it for me, I'm watching what quarterbacks enter the portal with potential ties to not necessarily Ole Miss, but where John David Baker has been. You got to look back at USC and Ole Miss and say, hey, what quarterbacks did maybe those two programs recruit? And maybe they ended up elsewhere but have ties or no John David Baker. You always have that consideration as well. It's not only the guys that have been on those rosters, but guys that were recruited by those teams because you get to know the coaches very well if you're an in-depth recruit. So I'll be watching that. Receiver. We know ECU needs a receiver, and we know they need a tackle. So anything else you'll be watching as far as the portal, is there a specific need outside of the obvious quarterback in your mind, Casey? In my opinion, you hit all the nails with the hammer. Let's get a quarterback. And then me, me personally, I would get a quarterback, get another one receiver, 
and then work on the uh, tackles first and then work your way in with the offensive line because, holy cow, the tackles were not outstanding this year. Got to shore up that offensive line. I made the point last night on the podcast, too. If you just get a couple pieces, it feels like everybody else can kind of slot into where they should be versus maybe where they are or where they have been. So we'll continue to follow that. We'll let you know if anybody else enters the portal today. Follow 94.3 The Game. Uh, hoist the colors as well. Again, 60% off special running right now on HTC. And uh, we will continue that. And then subscribe to both the 94.3 The Game YouTube page as well as Hoist the Colors for your latest info there. We'll have the press conference from John David Baker up on both channels later this afternoon. All right, let's get our first break in. We'll come back. We'll maybe shift gears, talk a little bit about the college football playoff as well. We'll get into Pirate Hoops. They host Maryland Eastern Shore, the men and women do, this afternoon. And we'll continue to talk Portal as well. This is Hoist the Colors on Monday. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes! That was so good! 94.3, the game. All right, welcome in to Hoist the Colors. Back in on this Monday. Case Normaley is in studio. And Philip Pilkington is producing. Case and working on his uh, final exams for his Hoist the Colors internship. We're trying to figure out what's going on, but... He's hard at work over there and also splitting his time. He'll be in Menji's Coliseum for the game against Maryland Eastern Shore later today. Kaysen, what what's your exam schedule look like this week? You got it pretty easy. I got one later. I got an exam later today. It opened at 12 o'clock. It ends at uh, midnight. And then I have a um, I have another I have my final for that class, my physics class on Wednesday. It's all like it's all online, lockdown virus, so it's not as bad as you think. Right. And then I have one other exam, financial exam, and then I have one other thing in my sports marketing class. I have to write a 25-page paper about the MOB's market <laughs> strategies for 2024. Man, I don't miss those days. I don't miss those days at all. But at least you're, you're coming to the end. We and, hope. And you're... Uh, You'll be done with college soon enough, but hey, enjoy while it lasts, man, because it's not not a whole lot better in the free world, as it seems. So, uh, good luck to all the ECU students going through their exams in the coming days. All right, guys, let's talk about it. College football playoff. Everybody's got their opinion, and you can make the argument each and every way. I think the system is stupid. You know, Brett Hickman said it best on our podcast last night. Anytime you have an invitational where you have a selection committee that is basically determining who should be in, not based off conference championships, but based off merit, and you only can allow four in, it's not really a playoff. And, you know, we're kind of seeing that now. This is probably the most controversial year there's been with four. Of course, it'll go to 12 next year, so it'll be a little bit different. But, Kaysen, what... What did you make of the four that were announced? Michigan and Washington were slam dunks. They got one and two. Texas and Alabama got three and four. Georgia left out at number six. And Florida State undefeated, 13-0. ACC champion left out at number five. Did the committee get it right? First off, I want to say this. I am absolutely gutted for Florida State. I mean, you do what you're told. You do every possible thing to get you in. And you do not get in. Now, granted, everyone's talking about Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis, yes, he is a fantastic player. 
He is a game-changing player. But also, if you look at the latter part of their season versus the Gators, they did play two quarterbacks because Rodham, whatever his name is, the backup got shooken up, but he also got headhunted, taken out of the game. And they squeaked out that win in the swap. And then they played a pedestrian Louisville team in the championship. And I will say it time and time again, that Louisville team is not good at all. Look at the teams they beat. They beat a they beat a solid Notre Dame team at home, but I wasn't that high on Notre Dame. I think Louisville is not very good. I will stand on this. I think that if NC State was in the AC Championship, they would have beat both of those teams, I don't think. And also, yesterday in the show, I mean, if you looked at what they were saying, if you look at the product on the field, that Alabama put on the field, the FSU put on the field in their championship games, you cannot sit there and tell me that Florida State is better right now than Alabama. But then again, that goes all the way back to the system. The system is broken. It's an invitational. Numbers are not that important to the committee, and it showed. And the other thing that didn't make sense to me was then they made Liberty the group of five representative despite playing the worst non-conference schedule and if you use the, the worst non worst non-conference schedule in the country 133rd out of 133 teams if you use the principle of who's the better football team smu or liberty i think smu probably gets the nod again we don't know because you can't put them together we can't have a real playoff but it's just kind of ridiculous to me that you can essentially play the easiest schedule in college football and make the playoff. That's what they're saying because next year Liberty would be in the 12th seed in this, in the current setup, this schedule for next year. So it's just, if you're ECU at this point, you can schedule the easiest schedule possible, run the table, and you can be in the playoff. That's that's the precedent they're setting. But then it's the opposite at the top. So nothing makes sense. Uh, Philip, what did you make of the, uh, the situation with Florida State being left out? Yeah, it chalks it up to a lot of inconsistency because if we want to look at the conference prestige of it, why is Washington number two and not number one? At the end of the day, one to the bottom, the Pac-12 was the best conference this year in college football. I thought Washington should have been one over Michigan regardless, but not Michigan's probably a better team, but they've got the better resume. They played in a tougher conference. And then so that makes no sense as to why Florida State didn't get in if you're you know, clearly not looking at conference prestige when you looked at one and two, to your point with Liberty, and look at the end of the day, you know, teams have been undefeated and gotten left out of this thing. I mean, Liberty is undefeated and got left out. But if you're going to claim there's a power five, if you're going to claim these five conferences and Notre Dame, who's independent, are better than the group of five and other independent schools, and a team goes undefeated in a power five conference, by the precedent you set at the beginning of this thing 10 years ago, they should be in. If, you know, look, is Texas better? Yes. Is Alabama better? Yes. I wouldn't even have a problem with Texas getting left out. Look, I get they beat Alabama head-to-head, but the they lost to Oklahoma. Oklahoma's not that good. They beat an Alabama team that is not nearly as good as the Alabama team right now, but I would have been okay with Alabama getting left out too. They they had to throw up a prayer to beat Auburn. You know, at the end of the day, you should not punish these kids for who they have and haven't played. These kids showed up every game and they won 13 of them. They played 13, they won 13. Yes, it could cause a blowout down the stretch because they're not as good 
as you know other teams. But at the end of the day, they won every game. You asked them to win every game. They did it. And if you want to bring up the injured quarterback, well, why did TCU not get in over Ohio State 10 years ago? Ohio State was on their third-string quarterback, and you let Ohio State get in. But they're almighty. They're the Ohio State University. They end up winning it. Right. So a team can win with a third-string quarterback. I mean, can they not? For it's been done. For sure. Look, I completely agree with you. I'm on the Ohio State hate train, but I will say this, Philip: they did win 59 nothing in the Big Ten championship game. And Cordell Jones is not a third-string quarterback. True. Cordell Jones was a. You just start. He is a dude. But then, yeah. couldn't you arguably one day could we say this? You know, hindsight's could be 2020. Could we say this about this kid from Florida State? Yeah, he turned out to be passing a, yards in the ACC I know. championship. He did. You know I mean? He did. It was cold and rainy. Look, I was in Charlotte this weekend. It was terrible. It was, it was bad. It wasn't quite as bad as the Tyrod Taylor year when he beat Christian Ponder and it was like 35 and pouring. It wasn't that bad, but it was cold and rainy. Yeah, I, I just. You can just it comes down to you can make the argument both ways, and it just depends on what is your perspective. So, no one can make a wrong argument. Like I feel like this is one of those things you can't tell anyone they're wrong. Right? It just sucks. The situation yeah. just stinks. And I, mean, I also and I also think that this is not getting talked about enough. I mean, Georgia's been number one for what two years yeah. straight now, and they lose one they game, lose by, one three, game by three, and they drop, and they drop from one to six. And and look, I think Georgia's probably the best team. And look, this is a very hot topic. This is a very hot take right here. If we're doing the four best teams in the country, Georgia should be in there. Georgia's in there. It goes Washington one, Michigan two, Georgia three, Alabama four. That's a very hot take. And Ohio State five, by the way. They shouldn't be seven if we're going off best teams. Yes, I think. And look. That's why none of it makes any sense. It doesn't make any (laughs) sense. And look, I'll even say this. I think those four teams beat FSU with Jordan Travis. I think so, too. And and, And I think Ohio State would punch him in the mouth, too. I don't know when. But they punch in the mouth, and also I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't count out Oregon against them either with Jordan Travis. I'm sorry, but <laughs> yeah. Look, and 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 look, I saw this even I'm a big ACC guy. He know he 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 knows I am. Philip knows I am, and there's probably killed the ACC, but they made the right decision. And last thing I'm gonna say is by Michigan's reaction showed the, they made the right decision. That is true. Nobody in that Michigan room when the Alabama popped up was excited to see that. And maybe it would have been similar with Florida State popping up, but I don't think it would have been to that degree. So, I, uh, yeah, it's just the system's broken. And then when we go to 12 next year, everybody's going to complain about the 13th and 14th team to get left out, you know, the third or fourth SEC team that doesn't make it. But at least you won't have cases like these where there's clear, like this year you've had six, seven really good teams all year. Or maybe not really good teams, but six, seven teams at the top that clearly were better than the rest of the country. And they all should have had a case to get in. And they're going to get in next year. But then the argument becomes in that second tier. Or it becomes the argument about the group of five representative, which I'll be curious. I already laid my case out there. I think it's ridiculous you can play the weakest schedule in college football, a pathetic schedule, and make the college football playoff potentially, based upon the parameters of this year going into next year. So, Philip, what what did you think about Liberty getting the nod over SMU, which SMU played at Oklahoma. They played at TCU. They lost both games. They were competitive games. Liberty played zero Power 5 teams, zero teams that had a pulse in reality. Uh, but they, they they get to play, what is it, Oregon in a bowl game? Yeah. yeah. The good thing for the people at that game is it's 11 a.m. on New Year's out in 
Air Phoenix. So hopefully they'll still be asleep from partying because I don't know why the Fiesta Bowl's at one o'clock in the afternoon. But uh, you know, your point to next year. Um, the crazy thing is we're going to know in advance next year who that team left out is because the teams that are fighting for that last spot probably won't play conference championship weekend. We're going to know who number 13 is on like the Tuesday before. So I don't think a lot's going to change. That's going to be the weird part. I know you weren't asking about that, but it was just something that came to me. But, yeah, no, uh, SMU got snubbed. Look, at the end of the day, yeah, I understand I just made the vouch for teams going undefeated, but the conference Liberty Inn is weak. The teams they played were weak. SMU did not only do what you just said with the teams they played, but they went to Tulane and won. And Tulane has been, over the last four years, if you take out the one year Michael Pratt was injured, has probably been the best group of five team consistently over the last four years. We saw it last year with them beating USC, and this is pretty much the same team that beat USC last year. And SMU just went in there and took it to them at their home. SM, or, sorry, SMU did. SMU is the best group of five team in the country and should be treated as such. The American, I know they call themselves a power six, which I don't totally agree with. Neither is the committee, but it's the next best conference. And not saying no one from the other conferences should get in. If there's, if you know, Air Force is clearly better. Fine, put them in from the Mountain West. But yeah, no reason stupid Conference USA should be having a team get in with how weak their schedule is. Jack Dover says, "Do you think the committee even factored in Preston Stone being out?" I'll be honest, I doubt the committee even knows who Preston Stone is. Uh, they're probably so focused on the top four. You know, maybe I'm wrong there, but Liberty's going to wish they didn't get that bid. They're going to get ran out. Of the I hope gym. Oregon shows up with all their players just to prove. If they don't show up with all their players, they're still. Gonna, that's going to be the worst thing. Is yeah. like when half their guys are like, "Well, I'm opting out for the draft," and then they still win by seventy. Now, here's the thing: if you're ECU, I think you want Liberty to at least compete because you still don't want the narrative to be these schools in the conference USA, MAC, Sun Belt, American can't compete and don't deserve a playoff spot. So, like. I can see it both ways. The other well, factor you want SMU to beat Boston College by seventy is what you really want if you're ECU. Yeah, they will. They will. Yeah, in Fenway. The other, other factor is next year's schedule. ECU plays a very Liberty-like schedule: Norfolk State at Old Dominion, App State at Liberty, and then the conference. Zero Power Five teams. So look, I'm not. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if ECU runs the table next year, fellas. The Pirates can be the 12th seed based upon the current parameters of the college football playoff. What do we think? And they'll also be the champion of Virginia, group of five teams. They, they will be. Um, you, Norfolk State, and Liberty. Look, the opportunity presents itself 100%, but I'm going to have to uh, hold on to my cards for this one. I'm not going to flip them on the table, so we'll see. But I love the enthusiasm. I'm just laying out the scenario, guys. All right, let's get a break. We'll come back. We'll switch gears. We'll talk hoops. Kaysen has dove in to Maryland Eastern Shore. He is a huge basketball junkie. We're about to find out just how much of a junkie he is. Can he provide a scouting report on the Hawks of UMass, Maryland Eastern Shore? We'll find out after the break, and we'll dive into that. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Arr, Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Welcome in. Welcome back in for this Monday edition of Hoist the Colors. Fun show. Plenty to talk about. Transfer portal is open. We've discussed the names for ECU already in the portal. If we get any breaking news there, we'll update you. And uh, we've also talked about the hiring of John David Baker. 
Got a 60% off special going on hoistthecolors.net currently. Check that out. But let's talk some basketball. The net rankings just dropped. And it doesn't look good for ECU. Where are the Pirates sit, Casey? You got the report up. They sit at 264th. They're 0-1 on the road. They have one <laughs> quad one loss, which is to George Mason. And they have... Uh, they are three and two in quad four. They have so, two. They played a bunch of losses. bad teams. They've played a bunch of horrible teams. And th- this is what we said when the schedule came out. Now that we'll get into this in a second, it's about to get much harder starting Saturday. But this is the problem when you schedule very weak teams, a lot of weak teams. If you have one or two slip ups, which ECU had, USC Upstate. And the other loss was to Northeastern. Northeastern. I don't know where Northeastern is, but Upstate is in the 200s. Upstate's 275. Uh, you, you just can't lose multiple of those games at home. And then Northeastern's 177. So, I mean, those are two terrific losses. Yes. So, and th- those are not going to get better throughout the year because those teams play in bad conferences, especially USC Upstate. Now, Northeastern plays in the CAA. Maybe they'll get a bump, but not a whole lot of ones. So, basically, the only way to cancel this out is to get some very high quad wins. And you do have a scenario coming up, South Carolina Saturday. Maryland Eastern Shore, I'm going to guess, is not very high in the net. No. Uh, So that's not going to help you out today. If you lose it, it'll kill you. But uh, South Carolina is high in the net. Then, of course, you got Florida as well. South Carolina is ranked 29th in the net. In the net, and we play them on Saturday. 12 noon on ESPNU. Florida is ranked 65th, three spots behind George Mason. And, I mean, you can look at this net, and look, I'm not a big numbers guy. I I follow the numbers. But, I mean, if you look at the top two teams in the net, what conference are they in? The Big 12. Thank you. And then we're going to see this about college basketball. If you want to get quad one wins, put your bid into the Big 12. You can go 7-10 and 10 in the Big 12. You'll be a 4 seed in the NCAA tournament. I mean, I've said it all year. The net is... A tool that is a good tool, but it's not the best tool. I mean, Cincinnati's 14 in the net. Iowa State, with two losses, is 13 in the net. They're both in the Big 12. They both have played D.H. Conley and J.H. Rose their first part of the season, and they're this high in the net. And, I mean, you can look at a team... Let's say, like, you can look at a team like uh, Wisconsin has two losses, but they just beat Marquette, and they just beat Virginia by 24, and they rank 26 in the net. And you're telling me Princeton, who's 8-0, is number 8 in the net, who has played who? Well, I think the good news is it's early enough it'll fluctuate yes. some, but you don't want to start at 265. I mean, that is just... You just can't put yourself even in the mix for an at-large bid with the non-conference schedule ECU had. And basically, you had to run the table against all the crap teams you scheduled, realistically. And ECU cost themselves by losing those games. I mean, that is... Again, should it be this way? Should we rely on the net this much? I don't know, but that's what the NCAA does. That is probably the main factor. So now you're going to have to get some huge wins to overcome... 
those huge losses. I mean, you, honestly, you got to beat a team like South Carolina. You got to beat Florida to over to basically just offset losing to Northeastern at home or you losing to beat to, FAU. Yeah, you got to beat FAU. So I mean, there's opportunities, but it's just not not ideal. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's all I can say. It not ideal one bit. And then tonight they're facing a Maryland Eastern Shore team who has been taking out a NyQuil and DayQuil as their game last Friday got canceled versus Hampton due to sickness. And they are coming in at 2-4. and four. They lost their opener at Temple by 20. And a little AAC preview here. Temple is not good. Um, they lost to Longwood by 20. They did beat Penn, who did beat Villanova. But Villanova has also lost to Penn, Drexel, and LaSalle. They are undefeated anywhere but Pennsylvania. Wow. They went down to the Battle for Atlantis, beat Nova, Carolina. No, they, they didn't beat themselves. They beat <laughs> Carolina, Memphis, and another team. They did beat themselves when yes. they played uh, They did beat themselves. And then Maryland Eastern Shore played at Notre Dame, lost by 20. Then they played at Liberty, lost by about 100. 99-62. So there have been some difficult games. So they losses. have been struggling. They also do not score a lot of points. They average about 60 points a game. So hopefully the defense steps up tonight and does not let them score more than 60 points. I expect ECU to score around 80-90 to 90 tonight because just the talent disparity. The problem the is two. it's but it's not tonight. It's this afternoon. This, ha- this has all the makings of a trap game written all over it, Kaysen. You just beat UNCW. We'll talk about that in a minute, uh, which turns out to be a pretty good win. But now you got an afternoon game sandwiched in between South Carolina and UNCW. And, I, you know, what is the crowd going to be like for 4 o'clock on a Monday? Are you going to be there, Phillip? I am. So it's going to be me, Patrick Mason, Phillip, Patrick Johnson, Cy Seymour, and three Apparently sets size of, sick, so Cy oh, will not oh, be well, there. Cy will not be there, so we got three sets of parents, too. So we have 18 people in a rock there watching the game. Coach Perry and Darren Vaughn. Oh, yep, uh, 19, uh, 20. Hey, Steve and I go will be there with at least my son, maybe my daughter, and maybe my wife, too. So, so I'll be there in so the stands. We're up to 24 people at the, 24 people. At, at the game. The women's game will follow as a doubleheader. They are also playing Maryland Eastern Shore. Now, Maryland Eastern Shore had to cancel the Hampton game due to COVID, and but they are here. They did make the trip. The game is still on. Yes, I actually got a text from uh, NC State uh, starting guard that says, is ECU playing basketball today? Because they play Maryland Eastern Shore on Wednesday in PNC Arena. So he was just making sure they made the trip down to North Carolina so they will have a game on Wednesday. Maryland Eastern Shore are probably getting a nice check for both games, so they probably want these games to happen. A real nice check. All right, so East Carolina beats UNCW. A really good game. I don't. Do you have where UNCW ranks in the nets uh, at this time? If you can't look that it's up, it's not as high as you think it would be. Their schedule has been pretty weak, really. One hundred twenty. One twenty. Yeah. Okay. So decent. Uh, what is that? A quad three win for ECU, I think, at home. But either way, yeah. Good win. They then go on the road two days after losing to ECU. Guys, they beat. Kentucky in Rupp Arena. And I'll be honest, they really controlled a lot of that game. How much did you watch? The last 10 minutes. When I texted you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, our guy, Shaquem Phillips from South Central, and it, he he made some huge one-on-one buckets down the stretch. So 
you know, credit UNCW, and that ends up being a nice win for yes. ECU. And that is a good Kentucky team. That is a very, very good Kentucky team. This same Kentucky team put 20 on Miami about five days before. And look, it just goes to show college basketball, anybody can beat anybody. The talent disparity between the good mid-majors and the power fives is not as far as it was. And I'm just looking forward to the rest. And that ECU win is looking a lot better now that they beat Kentucky. David Satorsky says ECU basketball stinks worse than the football team. I wouldn't go that far, David. Uh, look, I mean, they're still 5-3, and three, and I think with the win today, it can be 6-3. and three. And if you have Brandon Johnson for those two games that they lost in MTE, you're probably – probably have one loss right now yes and also the benchmark meter for the basketball football team is very different and i would and i would say that the basketball expectations are closer to being met than the football 16 and a half point favorite i think is the line today for ecu do you feel like that's about right yeah yeah i think they win i think they should win by more than 20 25 just considering this team's coming off not playing a game not being conditionally right i don't think that's going to play a factor i think late I think early in the second half on the under-12 timeout, ECU will bust the run and just just out-hustle them. Ezra Saar dealing with some sort of foot-ankle injury. You know, he was picking up Caleb account after the game. He was walking around in the press conference laughing after the game. So it, it doesn't seem like it's a serious injury. But, you know, you probably don't need him today, but you probably need him Saturday. I'll be honest, when, they, when it was announced he wasn't playing versus UNCW, I thought the, there was no shot the Pirates would win. Yeah, uh... Uh, you can ask Steven when uh, he told me uh, there was no panic for me. I just said they're going to just rest Ezra for the Wilmington game because because we didn't need Ezra to win the Wilmington game. Clearly, we just clearly yeah. we just wanted to rest them. And I think I think that'll be the case tonight. If Ezra on the floor, I will not be thrilled. You don't need to play him, in my opinion. Let Callum get some more burn. He played, in my opinion, pretty well in his first start. Yes, he had four fouls in thirty-five seconds, but I mean, he was fighting for every rebound fighting for it against a good, scrappy Wilmington team. And I expect both bigs to look good tonight, especially with a team like Mount Eastern Shore that isn't athletic, isn't as big. All right, again, tip-off tonight, 4 o'clock for the men or this afternoon, and then uh, the women's game will follow. Doubleheader, both against the Maryland Eastern Shore Hawks. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. We're live with Steven Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome in. Hoist the Colors. Monday, final few minutes of the show. Again, we got the John Dave, David Baker press conference coming up at 1 o'clock. The new ECU offensive coordinator that will be live streamed on uh, ECU uh, social media accounts. Let's see here on the ECU Athletics YouTube page, according to ECU Athletics. So if you want to watch it live, you can do that. The John David Baker press conference will be streamed at that time, 1 o'clock, and we'll have coverage for you there from 94.3 The Game and Hoist the Colors to follow as well. Uh, also, we're running a 60% off special on hoistthecolors.net for new annual VIP subscribers. And we will continue to run that for the next few days. So take advantage of that as we dive into recruiting, coaching changes, and a whole lot more. The transfer portal is open. ECU at last check 
as we talk here at 11.22 a.m. Again, we're recording a little early due to the uh, press conference. ECU has 18 players. This is counting a lot of walk-ons and some scholarship guys in the portal as of today with the undergraduate window opening. No real major unsurprising news or surprising news, I should say. Um, you know, guys who you kind of would expect or have announced previously. So we've touched on all those topics. we got basketball coming up with uh, Maryland Eastern Shore coming to Menji's Coliseums for men's and women's basketball. So we touched on Maryland Eastern Shore a little bit. So ECU right now, 5-3 and three through non-conference casing in hoops. Where does this team need to grow? Obviously, defensively, they got to continue to get better, but if they want to make a surge in the net rankings, which we just talked about, but also just get better throughout the year and put themselves in position to make a run for the conference tournament. Like last year they did that. Where do they have to do those areas you know, to make success towards the second half of the year again this, this time around? I think the first thing you need to do is pick up defensively because defense turns into offense and just, I've said it time and time again, it's just the amount of open threes this team gives up. And I mean, this past week versus Wilmington, Wilmington was not knocking down shots. They were 3 for 25 from 3, and that's why they won the game. I'm not taking nothing away from ECU. I'm just saying they went 3 for 25. You're not going to win. I don't care who you are. And they missed some wide-open shots. And they missed some wide-open shots. And then they also had some. They also had a lot of driving lanes. And, I mean, if you can cut those down, it, it creates transition opportunities to get out and run. And then I also think when ECU is making shots, they're a hard team to beat. But you can also say that about every other team in the country. And I think that the emergence of Bobby Pettiford, he needs to keep this up, not just have just a great November, because no one cares what you do in November. Everyone cares what you do in March. Got about a minute left here on the show. Cam Hayes, we know that ECU is fighting to get him eligible. If he is able to get eligible at any point this year, how much do you feel like that changes the team? It changes the whole dynamic of the team. I also think it would change the flow of this team in a very, very good way. I also think that there will be some lineup adjustments because of that. I am, I've am i said before, I think, that they need to start one of the freshman bigs along with Brandon and Ezra, and I think that Cam would be a great six-man off the bench for this team, if not start at the two or the one, but we'll see. We'll continue to follow that situation as Pirates, uh, as the Pirates fight for Cam Hayes' eligibility this season. We'll continue to also monitor Ezra Sars' health going into this game and future games, and hopefully Bobby Pettiford can stay healthy as well, and hopefully Brandon Johnson can get his foot or toe figured out because that has happened a few times the last few games. All right, Kaysen, appreciate the time today, man. Good job, as always. Best of luck on the exams. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. See you all tonight. At the, see you in a couple hours. Yeah. Menji's Coliseum will be there. Philip will be there as well. And we'll see how many people listening can make it to Menji's Coliseum this afternoon, too. All right, we'll get out of here. We'll be back 12 noon on Tuesday with Joe Sampson with more on John David Baker and the Pirate football team heading forward. We'll see you then. This has been Hoist the Colors on a Monday. Talk to you next time.
This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 the game.